Hey, great day. So before we get into today's podcast episode, I have a huge announcement. We are bringing back the Abundant CEO Private Practice Bootcamp. This is a three-day virtual party that I'm inviting all mental health therapists that either want a private practice in the next six to 12 months, or you already have had a private practice, maybe for the last year, five years, or even over a decade, but you want to understand wealth and cash flow in your company. You want to learn how to show up as a CEO and work more on your business versus in your business. Maybe you want to assess the health and the wealth of your current or future private practice to really see if you're on the right path to increasing your revenue, to growing your practice, maybe to streams of income later, or maybe even a group practice. Bottom line is you will walk away from this three-day bootcamp clarifying and understanding your niche, understanding how to show up as an abundant CEO, and most importantly, assessing the health of what you believe is a profitable private practice. So head down to the show notes and go to the link drtk.com forward slash links and sign up for the bootcamp. I'll see you there. Now let's head into the podcast episode. Welcome to the Branding for Abundance podcast. My name is Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and success coach. My goal on this podcast is to simply teach you how to proclaim your victory in your relationships, academic and career endeavors, business, money, and your mindset. Learn some simple tools and techniques to brand your life for abundance and live your epic lifestyle. Hey, hey, everybody. So great morning or afternoon, depending on where you are. I am Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and the number one therapist business coach. And I want to welcome you to my podcast called Therapists Deserve Abundance. Today, we are going to be talking about seven hiring lessons and blessings. Okay, part one. And anytime you see part one, that means that you know there is going to be more parts. Okay. So just to give you an overview of what we're going to be talking about today, I thought it would be good for me to give you the background of, you know, where this information is coming from. And so current date, 2021, I have a solo practice. I actually started my private practice in 2012. Um, I started just part-time, also having a full-time job working at a government agency, the County of Los Angeles. I was working in juvenile facilities. And at that time, we had three days off a week. And so I started very much part-time, one day a week, half of a day. And then over time, that grew. I also recognized that over time, the information started uh, being passed around in terms of my level of expertise related to building a private practice from scratch, just from the things that I had learned. Honestly, learning experiences, I don't like to say the word mistakes, but learning experiences that I had, people were starting to recognize that, you know, they wanted to learn the information that, you know, based off what I was doing. And so I started doing unknowingly to me, <laughs> coaching behind the scenes, answering people's questions, doing some consultations. And a lot of my quote unquote coaching back then was not really considered coaching, but it was more like people would pay to talk to me for one hour or two hours. And I would help them with whatever they needed help with at that time. Also over time, because the words started getting out there, I started attracting, first it was pre-licensed, then it went into licensed therapist and I started to build a private practice. And so I built a private, a group practice from scratch 
Um, and in the beginning, I had one intern and then she told her friend about it. I interviewed her friend. She was a good fit. Her friend also saw clients that I was attracting, but that I no longer saw because I started to niche down. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to see this one group of people. And both of these clinicians also are developing their own niche, their own level of expertise. So I can supervise them and I can also grow my practice at the same time. So it was a win-win. And they were also learning just how to work in a private practice setting beyond their nine to five job at like nonprofits and community agencies. And so as I hired the team, of course, that came with me understanding or needing to understand onboarding processes. And so during that time of having a group practice, I incorporated My group practice was called Resilient Community Psychological Corporation. Other things that I had to do was hire a HR company so that they can create a uh, employee handbook. I also needed to understand the state regulations regarding HR. So all of that led to me needing now an admin team member. And I will say that I'm very grateful for the knowledge that I learned early on as it relates to business, simply through studying for my licensing exam. So I remember there was a particular section on my licensing exam. It was literally 12 pages of content in our study uh, binder. And it was on organizational psychology. I graduated with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. They don't talk about organizational psychology and some schools may have it as a rotation or a course, but we did it. So I believe that that was my first breakthrough into understanding psychology from a business perspective as it relates to structure, as it relates to growing people in your company vertical or horizontal, meaning their pay goes up or their uh, task or the things that they're in charge of, you know, get spread out and things like that. And so I'm very grateful for that first sneak peek just to understand how important structure is to a company. But I also realize, and I, and this may resonate with you as a therapist, especially if you have a, a business, a practice or streams of income, is that most of us, unless this was your role at a previous job, most of us are not an HR expert, but I knew that I loved to meet new people. I knew that I needed help because the referrals kept increasing. The referrals did not stop. And I recognized quickly that if I'm going to what I now know, scale my business and work less while earning more, I have to put systems in place, okay? So I now want to go through seven things that you want to consider that I learned from hiring individuals. And today I'm specifically going to talk about group practice, but it doesn't mean that these things will not be applied to a solo practice because similar to my experience, sometimes things organically come to you. And if it feels in alignment with who you are and where your business is going, then you may need to know these things anyway. So the first one is assess the need maybe to hire another therapist. And so what I have found in my adult therapist academy, private practice community, and my elite coaching mastermind students, and those are the students who are adding multiple streams of income beyond their individual practice, whether that's a group practice or um, online courses and such, is that Some of them immediately said, oh, I have too many clients, so I'm just going to go hire another therapist. And I really want you to slow down the hiring process and ask yourself, 
What is the need for another therapist? And more importantly, do you want to hire and oversee that other therapist, whether they're licensed or not? Sometimes we think that just because they're licensed, we have a less responsibility. And that's not true because this is still a contractor or a W-2 employee. So some of the things that will help you assess your need to hire either one therapist or for those of you who may already have a group practice, your need to hire an additional therapist is first look at your caseload. One, do you need to get clients off your caseload? Are there referrals constantly coming in and maybe they highlight clients that you see or better yet, they hire clients who maybe at one point you love to see, but you don't have a passion to serve that group anymore, but you still want them to be served. Maybe you serve adults, maybe you serve parents and they keep talking about, they wish their child could find a therapist or, you know, a couple comes in and you recognize they need individual therapy. Wouldn't it be cool if Maybe they're not ready for family therapy yet, but it's clear that they need to get rid of baggage and process baggage. So then you would hire a therapist maybe to see the other partners plus other family members. So look at the type of referrals that are coming in as it relates to the need to hire a therapist. Another thing you want to consider when before you hire another therapist is based off the referrals, that will dictate the expertise that the therapist should come in with especially if they're licensed. Other considerations are hours. Are there clients requesting services from you and you no longer work certain hours like weekends or evenings or Friday evenings? I used to work with a working class. I knew when I had my physical office that a lot of my teenagers or kids back then they would see me on Saturdays and that will work out well unless they played sports. But some of the kids played sports and they couldn't see me even after school. Back then we weren't doing virtual telehealth. We were coming into the office. So I needed to assess what hours are clients requesting that I don't have availability for and can I find a therapist that doesn't mind working those hours, okay? Now, one more thing that you wanna consider when you're looking at hiring a therapist is Uh, the schedule of the way that your practice runs. If you have a physical location, what is the schedule for the building for maybe a receptionist if you're in like a virtual office setting? What is the schedule for the therapist? Do you need them to work all day? Do you need them to just be available two times a week in the evening? Or are you really looking for someone to work on the weekends, either a Saturday or a Sunday or both? All of these have to be considered, okay, before hiring a therapist. And these are the things that we teach in the Elite Coaching Mastermind in which we open up the doors once a year because these are clinicians who, you know, none of us learned how to run a group practice, let alone create one, but we're usually taking the information that we learned from a solo practice and we're applying it to a group practice and they're not the same, okay? So the next thing you want to assess are your finances before hiring additional team members in your practice. And so first things first, what is your entity type and what does your entity type need to become if you hire someone? Now, I, as a disclaimer, I'm not a CPA, I'm not a tax professional, I'm not a person who helps you put together an S-Corp, C-Corp. I am not even the person that will break down the differences. First off, as a licensed provider, you have to be very familiar with your board and your state regulations around what type of entity you can and cannot have. So for example, as a psychologist, even because I have a coaching business and I have a mental health business, I have to have an escort. I have 
to have an S Corp because that is the rules of psychology, the psychology board, especially when I'm going to say I'm operating using my psychology degree. So even though I'm not a psychologist to the therapist that I coach, I'm still using the phrase and my authority and expertise as a clinical psychologist, having opened up, you know, all of these streams of income and businesses to help therapists understand that like I'm an expert at what I do. So in that aspect, if someone were to go to my website, even though it's for coaching, it's going to still highlight that I am a psychologist. So just to make it clean, it's easier for me to have an escort, right? I cannot have an LLC. So you have to be able to check to see what is the entity type that is regulated per your board in your state. Other things to consider with finances is based off of the IRS rules, again, talk to a tax person or a CPA, is you have to determine with the IRS regulations if the people that you hire are going to be W-2 or W-9. And really what it boils down to is the level of power. So for example, in California, they start cracking down on this back in 2018 hard. In terms of group practices, we converted all of our uh, clinicians to W-2 employees. So clinicians coming in, maybe straight out of school, they didn't understand this because professors would typically give them minimal information and usually would just share, oh, it's a 60-40 split. It's a 7-30 split. And that's the way that we used to do things. But then when you really look at the structure of a group practice, I'm hiring for specific hours, which means I'm telling you what hours I need you to work. Now we can negotiate on time off. You know, it's not like a regular job. You just tell me when you you know are taking vacation. It shouldn't be like every other week kind of thing. But at the end of the day, I have control over how you're doing your charting. I have control over when you turn in your billing. I have control over a lot. I have control even over telling you that you have to show up to a consultation meeting. A contractor, you cannot mandate them to show up to a meeting. You can ask them, but if they can't do it, you can't say, oh, you're not in adherence to you know, your contract, you can't make them do specific things. So definitely talk to a professional in that arena as it relates to choosing if someone should be W-2 or W-9. But I'm letting you know outright, a lot of group practices are converting over to W-2, which means that the split is decreased amongst multiple states. And so if you are a therapist thinking that you're going to go work in someone else's group practice and you're going to get 60 or 70% while the office, of course, keeps the rest due to overhead, taking care of everything for you. Those rules are slowly changing. And so will your pay because we also have to take care of way more taxes. Okay. And so other areas of finances is what is your pay cycle? How often will you pay someone? How often are you required to pay someone in your state? So I learned this I'm not going to say the hard way, but when I was working with a CPA, I still do, but I just have another one than the one I had back then. And I looked up the regulations for hiring MFT interns in California, social worker interns, and then licensed therapists, masters and doctoral level, because there's, you know, there's different boards. Then I had to look at what are their requirements in terms of W2, W9. Then I had to, of course, incorporate into an escort. Then I recognized that I needed to pay them minimum once per month, ideally twice per month. And so this is really important because I did a podcast about my group practice a while ago, and it was 
how did I misplace $50,000? And that's a very important podcast episode that I would encourage you to listen to, especially if you are hiring other therapists in your practice, because if you don't understand the benefits of saving money, having a nest egg and understanding that you're going to be onboarding these clinicians, you're going to be W2 paying them to do training. And if this doesn't sit well with you, you may want to think second or, you know, again, about having a group practice because how many of you would go to a job and they tell you that they're not going to pay you to do the training? You wouldn't work, right? So I would set aside after learning a budget that, okay, if I'm going to hire a therapist, I expect that while I'm getting them on insurance panels, you know, in the back end, I expect to have to pay them this amount to work this amount of hours to get in our system and do these trainings so that when they are contracted or when we get a referral for someone who does um, private pay like a client, they can already hit the ground running. You don't want to wait to train people until the day the insurance gets approved because now you have all these referrals waiting when you could have been screening these clients and getting them prepared to see this particular clinician. Um, so that covers savings. You also want to be familiar with which type of payroll system you're going to use. Initially, we weren't even using a payroll system. I was using this website to calculate taxes. It was actually dead on, probably off a penny or two. I was printing it out because I'm super organized. I was putting it in a binder, but that's not good enough when it, when it comes down to you having to turn your bookkeeping over to your CPA to do your taxes. So you want to look at and do your research or talk to other group practice therapists, for example, or solo practice owners that are incorporated and they have a payroll. What systems do they use? I use Gusto and Gusto is a very good platform for clinicians, okay? I'll make sure that once we uh, publish this video after it goes live, that we put the link of the Gusto um, below this video in the notes because you actually can get a very good free trial and it gives you like onboarding paperwork, um, you know, and things like that. But you still need to know what's included in your onboarding, okay? So now that we've talked about onboarding, let's talk about assessing your HR practices. And so when you hire a therapist, you have to know what paperwork you need. Sometimes they don't know. They're just used to their internship paperwork. You know, all of us sign paperwork when we get a job, but do we really pay attention to the names of the forms other than the one that takes us our taxes out? or the W-9 if we're a contractor? No, we don't know as a W-2 that you need a I-9. What is included in an I-9? Where do you sign on an I-9? What documentations do you need on an I-9? How do I find an I-9? How can I make sure that the I-9 is filled out correctly? And where do I put this information? Where do I store the HR information for the people that I've hired? All of this is important, okay? So you have to be aware of the hiring paperwork. You definitely want to create an onboarding process. Be honest, when I first started my group practice, very differently than now, even in my coaching business, I have a full, well, I now have a foolproof onboarding process, even for admin team members that I hire. But in the first go round, I was pretty much creating it as I went along, which is why I hired an HR company. It was about... $2,500. They gave me my employee handbook. Plus we met with the representative like two to three times. And she met with me and my team to talk about different resources as you know, their company provided. But I realized that there was a lot that I did not know. There was a lot that goes way beyond, you know, just being a therapist and having a group practice. And I, I just realized that there's a lot of information 
to be learned, okay? And you should not do it on your own, especially if it is not your genius zone. So you want to create an onboarding process. Even for our Dope Therapist Academy students, for example, when they come into that program, we have an onboarding process. They go to the enrollment page. They then go to a thank you page. On the thank you page, it's a video saying, please watch this entire seven minute video so that you can know what to expect. You can know what to find. We're gonna talk about expectations as a student. We can tell when some people bypass our full onboarding process because we will get emails within 24 hours of them signing up saying, where's the Facebook link? Where is the course? And when then we check and we're like, did you sign a contract? No, the contract was on the thank you page. The contract was also on the first email that you received right after you signed up. And we're gonna send another email two days after to make sure that you got the contract and the Facebook link and all these other things within the first three to four days of you signing up. So onboarding processes are really important because it automates your business. Other areas that you wanna consider when you're hiring clinicians is their specialty. As I mentioned in the introduction, if you're not receiving referrals for kids and you hire your friend because she your friend or he's your friend, just to get them into your practice, you're wasting money and you're wasting time. They cannot see any of the clients that come in because they maybe only had training to see kids or that's the age group that they prefer to see. And are you going to supervise them and teach them to see other areas? So one example of how I raised the bar for myself is that I was seeing couples a lot because that was, and it still is, but I don't, right now I'm not taking on any new clients, but that um, was one of my areas of expertise, like my niche. And so I would receive a lot of referrals and a lot of my couples, we realized, or I realized during the intake, some of them, they weren't ready for couples counseling or even if they were, I realized that one or both parties needed individual counseling. So let's just say if I saw a couple and they definitely need communication enhancements and to flesh out some stuff about parenting, whatever, but one of the partners needs individual as well because they have some baggage that's also impacting the family relationship. So I may offer to that client, you know, how about we see each other bi-weekly, but I'm going to recommend that you, you know, I'm going to tell them, you know, for individual counseling. So what I end up doing is there was a uh, psychologist. She had just gotten licensed. She was in my group practice, Dr. Millie, and she had never worked with couples. She was a little, she was like a little scared to work with the couples when I would talk about just balancing out two adults in a room together. And so I said, how about I train you how to work with couples the way that I work with them within my framework, because I have a framework for each type of client that I work with, whether it's a parent child diet, a family of two to four, teenagers, children, all of those have a different set of steps per se that I would use to be able to get that client through treatment, right? So she was open to it. Um, we consulted right before the session, after the session, we did some trainings together on the phone, on Zoom and in person at the office. And then all of a sudden she just became my go-to person when I would have those referrals because sometimes I would say, we're not gonna do any couples counseling because the both of them have way too much baggage. And I firmly believed clinically that if we were able to help them process their individual baggage, they actually wouldn't even need family counseling. You have to know that and put on your clinical hat and don't just see couples just because of the rates or something like that. So what we would start doing is having the couple sign um, a release of information for our office so that me and that clinician can consult once a week, but we would not share information 
regarding helping these um, clients, you know, move faster in progress and treatment, we would um, sign a form as well saying that we would not share the information shared with the, with our client, if that makes sense. And so nevertheless, because of my specialty, I was able to teach someone else the specialty. And then my practice grew some more because I was able to serve more people. We were able to serve more people. Now, of course, lastly, with HR practices, and this is just a few, I'm just doing an overview, is you definitely want to check people's references and know what questions you are asking. You want to ask their previous employer or supervisor, not just about their clinical experience, but also logistical information, such as, you know, how was their attendance? You know, how fast did they turn in their paperwork on time? How was their clinical documentation writing skills? And the reason you want to do that is because for licensed therapists in the beginning phase, you may be overseeing their paperwork just to make sure that they're adhering to the rules and policies of your group practice. But at the end of the day, you don't want to be doing that all the time because that's not really scaling your business. That is you supervising every single therapist in your office. And you shouldn't have to do that for licensed therapists, you know, that much. Okay. So you definitely want to check the references. So next thing is train your team members and provide access to you. So we just talked about thoroughly onboarding process, but you want to have your onboarding list or processes documented somewhere so that even if you do it with the first person you hired, like I did, then make sure that you create it systematically and it's clean so that when you hire the next person, you could just simply hand them the system and then let them know um, that your door is open, meaning access to you so that they can let you know where they're stuck and if they need additional support. You also want to set up meetings. Usually the frequency of the meetings are a lot higher in the beginning of hiring somebody versus tapering them down after they've been there for a while, maybe past a probationary period. But what you don't want to do, and this is something that I actually didn't do, so it's not a lesson, but it's something that I've been teaching therapists in my programs not to do because we just assume, oh, you're a therapist, you know what to do. Boom. Here's the client. Here's our simple practice. All right. Let me know if you have any questions. You have basically thrown these people out to the sharks. That is not okay. So you definitely want to be meeting with your clinicians, even if they are licensed to make sure that they understand your, your systems, right? Next is you want to celebrate the people that you hire. This is anybody that you hire, but especially therapists. We are putting ourselves on the line and we are giving and giving and giving our energy. We're taking on vicarious trauma from our clients. Sometimes we don't have anywhere to dump all that information unless you have a consultation process. And so you want to celebrate people that you hire throughout the year. So this is one thing that I learned that I wanted to do more of. Nothing bad happened, but I recognize being an employee that... I do a lot better in settings where even a supervisor beyond a performance evaluation tells me what a great job I'm doing. Or if I know that I'm meeting the billable hours, instead of just highlighting the people who are not, why don't you also highlight the people who are actually doing their job thoroughly? Because sometimes we solely focus on the lack, like what people are not doing. And we seldomly focus on the people that are winning. So you want to celebrate people in your company. And you also don't just want to do it during the holidays. During the holidays in my business, we would we would like do consultations. We would go out to dinner, you know, just as therapists at some point. But then during the end of the year, I made it a habit to go across the street, 
we had a cheesecake factory at the mall and we would go over there and I would even invite my husband and whoever else from home was working in my company that helped me out from time to time. And we would all just have a good lunch together, like on a Saturday and, you know, they can order whatever they want, uh, full of appetizers, a drink and, you know, no work. We done all play. And we just are getting to know one another and talking about the holidays, talking about who's going to visit family during the holidays and just get to know one another. But why I'm mentioning this is because you don't just want to wait until Christmas to show your appreciation at the end of the year. You want to, even through an email, you know, tell people how grateful you are for them. I've been learning how to do this for the last two years and I'm getting better and better where even every time I send my team members a training video, I will start it off or end it by saying, you know, I'm super grateful for your part on our team. I love your hard work. You know, I make sure that I put that in an email or a training video somewhere so that they know that I appreciate them. Okay. So performance evaluations, we should be very familiar with these because we've had to do them for our professors in school as therapists or psychology students. We've also had them done on us and then we do them on our supervisor as well. And so you and the people that you hire should know the score. What I mean by the score is they should know what areas are their strengths and then what areas are um, weaknesses AKA they need improvement. The only way that somebody's going to get better at something is if you communicate to them what are the expectations, how are they doing, and the the biggest part is teaching them how to raise up to the expectations. Never make assumptions. Now, I also believe that closed mouths don't get fed. And so as a team member, I always say now in an interview process that I am looking for people that don't mind also letting me know what they need to, you know, do better at their job. I don't want someone who is silent the entire time. And that is a yes, ma'am, because that's not going to help my business grow. If I don't know that you're lost, I may be thinking you mastered it because you, you checked it off and I see that it's done. But the truth of the matter is it took you way too long to do it. Maybe because you were stuck you tried to troubleshoot on your own, you went to Google or YouTube versus just simply sending me a text message saying, hey, do you have time to talk today? Or hey, I don't know how to do this. Can you send me a video? I don't see a video in my training manual and I'll do it, right? But when you know the score, that leads to growth in your business, okay? The next thing is bonuses and promotions, which is pretty much tacked on to celebration. So I would encourage bonuses, whether it's time off, a mental health day, or an actual paid bonus. And so when you want to do a bonus, of course, you want to talk to your tax person or CPA to see also logistically based off of profit and loss, what makes sense. And so you first want to decide the frequency. How often do you want to give a bonus? Do you want to give a bonus actually at the end of the year? Do you want to give a bonus depending on the type of business that you have? Like for a coaching business, I may have a bonus after a launch, you know, but you want to have these things written down so that it's not like, oh, I want to do a bonus today. That's not written in your plan. Okay. Maybe you want to give a bonus based off of someone's work hours. I started doing this during actually the last two years of my group practice, where if clinicians hit a threshold of billable hours and over, um, and that equated to dollar amounts with, you know, time work, time served, then they would automatically qualify for different levels of bonuses. So not only are they getting their hourly rate, if they went over a certain threshold per month, then I would say, okay, if you go over this, this month, then you get this amount. And it was, you know, 
$3 signs. So it may be $250, it may be $500, but then there were like four different levels. And so I remember a newly licensed therapist, she had hit it one month and we were able to pay her, it was at the end of the year, but we were able to pay her out like 30 days later, of course, because we also needed to set strict guidelines in terms of when to expect pay. And we actually paid out 60 days after, not 30, because it was insurance claims. So we also had to make sure that we recoup the funds before we pay out money. Those are things you want to pay attention to. Maybe you want to give bonuses and or promotions based off of how long someone has been working for you. Maybe you want to increase their pay after a probationary period. Maybe you hire someone at a certain dollar amount and then after they go through the probationary period, they automatically get a raise. That's what I was used to even at my um, county job. After the first year, we automatically qualified to go up a level. And then, of course, when I got licensed, then we went up like two to three levels in terms of salary. Um, maybe you want to give people bonus and promotions based off a of licensure status. Of course, yes. Before they got licensed, they were getting paid a certain amount. Then once they got licensed, they also may have more availability. You pay them more. Okay, so that actually wraps up the information in terms of seven things that I've learned while having a group practice that I wanted to share with you as it relates to things that I would want you to consider in assessing your business before we go out there and just start hiring therapists. And so if you have questions about this episode, even if you're watching it as a replay, feel free to drop any questions below and I will come back to YouTube and I will make sure that I answer them. If people are listening on the podcast, you can always you know, DM me on Instagram. But the best way to stay in connection with me is to text the word abundance. So if you text the word abundance to 310-388-8603 and the information is also in the show notes, you will get daily business and motivational affirmations Monday through Friday from myself. You will also be able to get the link, access to the link to our freebie library that has branding and marketing tips for manifestation hacks, abundance checks, and things like that. And then more importantly, you'll be able to stay in connection with myself in terms of me announcing some things that are happening for the upcoming year. If I have CE workshops, you'll be the first one to know. When we open up the doors to any of our private practice or scaling business programs, you will be the first group to know. And so you definitely want to stay motivated in your business. You want to stay connected to like-minded individuals that want to see you win. And I really hope that you will consider getting in and as part of our therapist community, when you text the word abundance to 310-388-8603. And so if this episode has touched you in any way, please make sure to uh, subscribe to my podcast and my YouTube channel. Make sure that you click the little bell on YouTube so that you can be notified when I'm going live. But again, if you're part of our text community, I will also send you a link saying, hey, I'm about to go live in an hour. I'm going live tomorrow. You know, I'm doing a full-blown workshop for you. So I hope to see you or hear from you in the community. And of course, you can always visit me for additional content um, on my podcast because not everything is in a video form. And of course, on um, Instagram, where I have a lot of activity and a lot of mental health business tips. So I will see you in the next episode. I really appreciate your time today. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.